invite you to turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5 is where I'd like to begin this morning. In fact, we're going to spend a good bit of time here. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Welcome to the Grace and Mercy Hour, brought to you by Rocky Mount Church in Arab, Alabama. Rocky Mount Church is a primitive Baptist congregation, a family-integrated church that seeks to worship God in spirit and in truth, a church that seeks to maintain the simplicity of New Testament worship. Thank you for tuning in. Please stay tuned at the end of the broadcast for contact information, and may the Lord bless our time together today. I'd like to read verse 30 to begin with. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 30 says, For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. I don't know how far along we'll get, but there's a lot that took place. There was a lot that was written before verse 30. And, um, and we need to look at some of those things. And... As I looked at this, and this verse kind of was on my mind, and, and I tried to think on it and meditate on it and pray about it, and, and realizing the context of it and how needful it was to go back and get some of the context, I found, my, I found myself going all the way back to, to verse 14. So that's what we're going to do, verse 14. Now, we heard some of this recently. Brother Seth Kelly shared with us um, a message that centered around, uh, I believe it was, was verse uh, 14 and 15 and 16, and 16 especially, and redeeming the time. And so, um, and in no way uh, would I ever uh, think about trying to re-preach his message, but just to establish the context and see what has been said before, uh, let's look at what the Apostle Paul exhorts us to do before we get back down to verse 30, Okay. Remember, verse 30 says this, For we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. And he's writing about the church. He's writing about you. Members of the body of Christ, members of the, of the church, His bride, the bride of Christ. He says we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. So the Apostle Paul exhorts us, beginning around verse 14, to awake, to awake from our state of slumber and complacency, to separate ourselves from the philosophies of the world, to seek for that wisdom that comes from above. In verse 15, the Apostle exhorts us to walk circumspectly, to walk with a diligence, to walk with a diligent precision. That's the kind of outlook that we're to have on life. In other words, to be aware of the things that go on around us, to be keenly aware of the circumstances around us, and to look for God in those circumstances, and in those things that happen around us. Uh, otherwise, we go through life somewhat oblivious 
and we will never reach the point where we need to be that we have a, a good understanding, or at least a, an increasingly better understanding of God's will. He exhorts us to walk circumspectly. He exhorts us in verse 16 to redeem the time, to continually recognize that our lives are short, our lives are but a vapor, our lives are like the flower on the grass of the field. It appears for a little while and then it fades away. And so that the life that we have been given as a blessing from God belongs to the Lord. It came from Him, it belongs to Him, and it ought to be lived in honor and glory to Him. He says in verse 17, He exhorts us to, to not be unwise. We are to continually seek a better understanding of the will of the Lord. Continually, day by day. He goes on to tell us in verse 18 that we're not to be drunk with wine. There's excess there. There's um, an opportunity as we are influenced by things that would alter our mind, whether it's wine or you fill in the blank or any kind of mind-altering drugs. Uh, there's prescription drugs, I understand. But anything that affects our minds and affects our thinking and, and interferes with the clarity of our thinking, that is an opportunity for us to begin to give in to the lusts of the flesh. So there's excess there that we must avoid. He says, rather, we need to be filled with the Spirit. We're to have our hearts and our minds continually renewed and filled with the things of God. He tells us in verse 19 that we are to avail ourselves to corporate worship. That's what you've done this morning. We're to avail ourselves to corporate worship, and a part of that corporate worship is to involve ourselves as an act of that worship in speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to make melody in our hearts and to realize that the sound that really matters, the sound that is most pleasing unto the Lord, is not necessarily that voice of ours, although that is very pleasing to the Lord, but it is the melody that comes from the heart, that that is the most pleasing unto the Lord, and so it doesn't matter as much what it might sound like coming from our mouths whether it's all in tune or not, there's a discord or not, whether it sounds pleasant to the ears or not, it's the melody that is made in the heart unto the Lord. And Paul exhorts us to engage ourselves in the corporate worship service where we involve ourselves in that congregational, corporate, collective singing of hymns. And we're singing and speaking to one another in doing that as well. He exhorts us in verse 20 that we are to be spiritually minded, to be spiritually minded in developing an ever grateful spirit, an ever grateful spirit where, where we express our gratitude in all circumstances, in all situations. We're to develop this thankful, grateful spirit. In verse 21, <clears throat> he exhorts us to develop a humble spirit and submissive spirit. Each, each and every one of us submitting ourselves one to another in the fear of God. We're to develop a humble and submissive spirit 
And that is to be a part of our response to the creator of the universe who has looked favorably upon you. A humble and submissive spirit. And when we think about the creator of the universe who has looked favorably upon us, it ought to cause us to look to him with awe and gratitude. Well, that's part of the context, getting closer to verse 30, okay? I kind of rushed through some of that, I guess, but I hope something that I just said stays with you because it's very important, the things that Paul exhorts us to in those few verses to understand more fully what the rest of this passage is teaching us. Now, the rest of this passage has a lot to do with marriage, with husbands and wives. But more importantly than that, as we read in verse 32, even though these things are a great mystery concerning marriage, concerning husbands and wives, he says, I speak concerning Christ and the church. So what a beautiful passage this is. So many, um, uh, well, I'll say practical lessons concerning marriage, concerning the relationship between husbands and wives, but also as we uh, focus on the relationship that Christ, our husband, has with us, his bride. That is the primary lesson. That is the lesson first and foremost that we are to gain from this passage. And then we're to take that relationship that we understand that exists between Christ and the church and then we're to, we're to translate that then to our marriages. And may I say, it doesn't ma matter this, mo this morning whether you are married or not, whether the prospects of marriage are in the near future or not. Perhaps you have been married and you're not now for whatever reason. The primary lesson is as members of his body, members of the body of Christ, members of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are his bride. We are his bride and we need to know, <laughs> we need to have a better understanding of what that means. For me personally, all of us collectively, but as individual members of the body, I need to know what it means, how I am to... To, to, to approach my husband, the Lord Jesus Christ. How we are to approach our husband. Okay. So he says to begin with in verse 22, he says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now, maybe it would not be necessary for some preachers, for some ministers, for some pastors to go through this passage and use notes. But I'm telling you, I'm using them this morning. I, I, I've got a lot of notes. And they were good to me when I was making them. So I'm going to come to the, I've come to the conclusion they're going to be good for you as I share them with you. And if they're not, then, uh, then that's my fault. And hopefully you haven't wasted your time in being here. But I'm going to share with you the notes that I've made along the way. I felt like they were too important. And I didn't want to leave anything out that I feel like the Lord led me to think upon and maybe revealed to me some things that I haven't really thought about before. And maybe that's the case with you. He says, 
Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Please, as we go through this, think about what, no matter what your marital status is this morning, think about your status, if you will, your marital status with the Lord. And as members of this church, as members of this body, as members of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, how is it? How is it with us? With our relationship with the Lord. Wives, think church. Church, submit yourself unto your own husband, the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. If we understand that relationship, then our marriage relationship will be a lot better. All right? Now, I'm not, I'm not picking on wives, or maybe I am. Maybe you think I am, but I'll pick on husbands too before we get through. He says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Christ is the head of the church by divine appointment. Listen to me carefully. Christ is the head of the church by divine appointment. God's word is divinely inspired, including the part here that describes the roles of husbands and wives. This is just as divinely inspired as in the beginning God created. It's just as in di divinely inspired as uh, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. This passage is just as divinely inspired as for we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. This passage is just as divinely inspired as God who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. This passage is just as divinely inspired as every other word of God. And we need to understand what this means. First and foremost, as members of his body, as a part of his bride, and then what that means to us as husbands and wives, as future husbands and wives. One of the things that stands out from this one verse and the rest of the passage really, but beginning with this verse, is it, it, it vividly highlights how critical it is that we choose our spouse wisely. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. It is so critical that we choose our spouses wisely, prayerfully considering what God expects from each of us in the role of husband and wife. It's so, so critical. As I said, this passage first and foremost shows us what Christ, our husband, has done for us. We'll, we'll get to that in just a moment. Ultimately, we do want to follow that example as husbands and wives. So let's read on. I, wanted, I do want to get back down to verse 30. Verse 30, 23 says this, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Let me, let me say this. Men doesn't matter if you are married. Men, you have the primary responsibility regarding how closely your marriage resembles the relationship between Christ and His bride. Men, you have the primary responsibility. You are the one to initiate, in other words, you have the primary responsibility, whether you are a husband now, whether you are preparing to be a husband one day, the primary responsibility is 
yours. And, and, and in fact, men, think with me for just a moment. Your responsibility in many ways is, is, is made even greater because not only do, do I, as a man, as a husband, need to understand my role as a husband and what God expects, me as a, expects of me as a husband, but as a member of the body of Christ, I have to learn the role of the wife as well. I have to learn the role of the bride because I am to lead my wife and my family as members of the body of Christ to this great example that we have here in that relationship. I have to know both roles of husband and wife because I am to be the leader leader in every way. I am to be the spiritual leader first and foremost in my family. So as I lead as, as my family as a part of the church, I, I'm leading within the con, con, uh, context of the bride of Christ myself. So I have to know both roles. I have to understand something about both roles, husbands and wives, as the man. He says, he says wives, submit yourselves. We don't, we don't really like that word submit, do we? Oh, maybe it, not, it might not bother you. It bothers a lot of people out in the, in the world, I suppose. But another word, maybe this is a little better for you, subject. That's not much better, is it? Submit, subject, that, that it's, it's the same word. It is, it is something we are called on to do in, in this way. We are to be willingly subordinate. We are to willingly subordinate ourselves. Don't forget that verse 21 says, submitting yourselves one to another. Uh, that, that, really need, that needs to come first before anything else, right? We need to submit ourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. We're to submit ourselves. We are to subject ourselves. We are to willingly subordinate ourselves for the sake of others. Don't forget, we're talking also about, primarily about members of the body of Christ. And as the bride of Christ, we're submitting ourselves, willingly subordinating ourselves to Jesus Christ. And so he says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. A voluntary attitude of cooperation, being agreeable to the, to the position, wives, ladies, whether you're married or not, being agreeable to the position that you have voluntarily placed yourself in, okay? Being agreeable to that position. Now, we're not talking about this being a matter of rank or a matter of superiority. We're not talking about this is not a matter of intelligence or, or anything like that. It is a matter of structure, order and structure that God has laid out. This order, this structure is God's design it has given to us in, in, in his inspired word. And it should be our desire because we, we should be able to see the wisdom therein. Rather than, rather than entertaining the philosophies of the world, the ideas of the culture around us, which lead to nothing but confusion and chaos. Would you agree with that? Uh, it's concerning marriage and now I, I expand that into... To, uh, 
all the, the idea that there's all these different genders out there, all that causes confusion and chaos. It comes from confusion and chaos and multiplies confusion and chaos. God's Word provides order and structure. And ultimately, what does it do? It creates an environment of stability and comfort and peace. You're members of the body of Christ. You're members of the bride of Christ. We are to willingly subordinate ourselves to our husband because that's the order of things. And that's the structure. And that is the environment in which we will find peace and comfort and security. I want you to hold on to those thoughts for just a second. The, the peace, the comfort, and security. You might hear that again before we get through. So he says the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. A man that submits himself to Christ, listen to me, listen to me, guys. <laughs> a man that submits himself to, to Christ will attract a woman who has the same desire. We attract that which most resembles us and that, and that which has the same desires as we do. No, what, no matter what that is, apply that in any realm you want. Our actions that manifest our desires is going to attract others who have the same desire. Okay, right or wrong, good or bad, godly or ungodly. So a man who submits himself to Christ is attractive to a woman who has the same desire. Ladies? Ladies? Thank you. I need some help here. Don't, don't just say amen or yes because I'm trying to get you to, but I just really agree with that. A woman is attractive to a man who is expressing the same desires that she has. And if that's the case... If a man is willingly submitting himself to Christ, then she has this same desire and she will faithfully and willingly submit. Remember our definition. Willingly submissive. Willingly subordinate. A willingness and a, and a cooperation with and an agreeable and, and being in agreement with the position that she's in, she will faithfully and willingly submit herself to that kind of a husband if he is manifesting that same submission. You know, as husbands and wives, I'll be reminded of this later, I know. Uh, we should never forget one another's humanness. When we look at the relationship that Christ has established with his bride, what he has done is perfect, right? What he has done is perfection. Now, now we don't always act that way. In fact, we're not going to get that way on this side of the grave. We need to continually strive to do better and improve and all of that. So we have to overlook one another's humanness, one another's faults and imperfections and shortcomings. And we have to do that so we can encourage one another as husbands and wives to grow and mature in our walk with the Lord. He says in verse 24, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their husbands in everything. Christ is the head, right? 
Christ is the head of the church. It is from the head that the body receives everything that it needs. The head is the provider. Think with me. Christ as the head of the church, He is the provider. He is described here in, in verse 23 as the Savior of the body. What does that mean? I mean, I know you probably immediately think about you know, being saved for heaven. Eternal salvation. Now, there's many aspects of salvation. Is that what is considered under consideration here? Well, it might begin with that, but there's, but there's, there's more. Uh, there, there's more that, it, that is built upon that. Being saved eternally. That's where it all begins. He says He's the Savior of the body. He is the head of the body now. Not waiting to be one day. He is now. And He is the provider and the deliverer of the body now. He delivers us, His bride, by providing everything that we stand in need of. When there is a, if there is a Savior, a deliverer, that indicates there's something, there's a need, right? There's something we need. Uh, again, first and foremost, uh, before anything else, you and I as individuals, as part of the fallen human race, we in being dead in trespasses and in sins, we need life first, right? Nothing else matters if we don't have spiritual life. Nothing else matters. Nothing else is, 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 is... We're not interested in it. So life is what Christ has provided, all right. But now He is the deliverer also in, in many other ways. While, while we live here in the world and as, as a part of His body, He is the Savior. He is the Deliverer. Delivering us from circumstances or conditions or whatever it is out there that is attempting, listen carefully, attempting to prevent us from being what God has called us to be. Uh, and there's so many obstacles out there. There's so many trappings. There's so many temptations. There's so many enemies out there, enemies of the church, enemies perhaps of you personally, enemies of the cross. There are so many things out there in the world that would attempt to draw us away, to cause us to lose focus uh, of trying to be what God has called us to be. And that is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is individual members of the body of Christ. The head of the church is the Savior. He is the deliverer. If I need help to overcome those circumstances, if I need help in changing and having those conditions changed, who am I going to look to? I'm going to look to the head of the church. I, I'm told in, in His inspired word that, that He is the Savior. He is the deliverer. I need deliverance today. I'm to look to Him because I know He has the ability He and I believe He has the desire and He is the deliverer. Okay, men, think about, think about this. Think with me. Christ is the head because He is the Savior. What does He say here? Men, think about yourselves as a deliverer. I didn't say the deliverer, a deliverer, okay? You are a deliverer. You are the one responsible to provide for your bride. You are the one responsible to meet the need, whatever that need is. 
I said need. Whatever that need is, men, you have the responsibility. Uh, you cannot, listen to me carefully now, men, you cannot, married or not, men, you cannot claim to be the head of the bride, the head of your wife, if you have not taken on the responsibility of being the deliverer. You want me to say that again? You cannot lay claim to being the head of your wife if you've not taken on the responsibility of being her deliverer. I'll, or you can just chew on that a little bit then. I, I heard a, one or two amens, but you, you think about that for a little bit. Providing for the needs of your bride, sacrificing, following the example of our great husband, the Lord Jesus Christ, and becoming, listen to me, the fountainhead of all good things for your wife. You're the head. You're also the deliverer. And you can't do one, you can't have one without doing the other. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, there's our word again, submit, subject, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now let's keep on moving. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was with the Father before the foundation of the world. I quoted there, I think, what is that? Second Timothy chapter 1, um, how that... God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given in Christ Jesus before the world began. Not only was the purpose of God established in Christ before the world began, but we, in the mind and according to his purpose, we were given grace in Christ before the world began. We didn't literally exist but we did in the mind of God and as a people loved of God, as a great multitude of people that no man can number, we were given grace as God established His purpose in Christ, Paul says, before the world began. Christ loved His church. He gave Himself for it. And He agreed even before creation that He would come into the world and sacrifice Himself that he would take upon himself the sins of all of his people, that he would receive the just punishment, yes, punishment for sins that you and I deserved, and that he also agreed knowing that that meant death upon the cross. That's why when he came into the world, he humbled himself and became obedient even unto death, the death of the cross. That's why he, although he despised the shame, although he knew what was going to happen, he came into the world anyway, looking toward, not looking forward, but looking toward the cross, looking forward to what the, the end result would be, seeing, <clears throat> seeing them that he loved would be delivered from eternal separation from God the Father and having pleasure in that accomplishment. That's why Jesus came into the world. He sacrificed himself for you. Now, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Wow. <laughs> Man, that's serious, isn't it? That's serious. Christ demonstrated his provision for us 
He demonstrated his protection around us through sacrifice. Men, you're called on to sacrifice. You're called on to sacrifice. Not to be a tyrant, not to be a drill sergeant, not to be overbearing. The ultimate expression, the ultimate expression of love is sacrifice. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. And in that ultimate expression, or in response to that ultimate expression of love through sacrifice, wives, you are to respond in like manner. Right? Aren't we, as the bride of Christ, to respond to the love of Christ that He demonstrated through the sacrifice of Himself, through His death, giving Himself literally in every way, dying as a man, as God on the cross, giving Himself and enduring that eternal for three hours of darkness as He hung there on the cross and enduring what you and I deserve, providing, protecting, securing, and saving, redeeming. How are we to respond, church? To the very best that we can with that same kind of sacrificial love. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Christ has set his bride aside. He, is set, he has set his bride apart from all other women. Right? Amen? He directs his attention, his affection, his time, his energy, and everything about himself. He directs to her and her alone. Church, how do you respond to that? How do you respond to such love and devotion and commitment on the part of our husband, the Lord Jesus Christ? Christ desires no other, and he has his bride's best interest in mind in everything that he does. Church, how do you respond to that? I know that Jesus Christ, our husband, does not ignore our imperfections, but he looks beyond our imperfections as his bride in love and mercy and grace. Husbands, did you do that? Have you done that? Did you do that this morning? Did you do that yesterday? Have you looked beyond the imperfections of your bride in love and grace and mercy? Because when you do... You hope that she will respond in like manner because you have those same imperfections and you have the same need for her to look beyond those in love and grace and mercy. Now, that we don't have that need as the bride of Christ. We don't have the need. We don't have to look beyond our husband because he has no imperfections. But he has demonstrated his love and grace and mercy, oh, in such a beautiful way. And we're to respond in like manner. Now, let's move on a little bit further. We're almost there. Verse 28, so, also ought, uh, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. You know, there's, a, there's so much more in that verse 27 and 28. Um, maybe we need to come back to it another time. But um, not only are our roles as husbands, men, our roles are to, to the, we have the responsibility to be leaders, spiritual leaders, leaders in every other way. We do have the uh, responsibility to teach and to instruct 
um, always, always, though, demonstrating love and grace uh, towards our bride, towards our wife. And I tell you, when, when, you know, when you look at Christ and His church, when you look at the husband and the bride, Christ and His church and that relationship, when is, it some of the, what, when is some of the most precious times, when is some of the most intimate times that we enjoy as the church, as the bride with our husband? Is it not in sweet communion? Is it not when we come together to remember what He did do for us, the sacrifice that He made for us and the love that He's shown toward us in giving Himself for us? Isn't the most sweetest communion we have during that time and so there is this intimacy also between husband and wife that is only that is reserved only for husband and wife and anything outside that husband and wife relationship is sin so he says moving on a little bit further for no man ever yet hated his own flesh but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the lord the church verse 30 we're back where we started. For we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. There's so much more in that passage, and I've got just a few minutes, and I've got a few more notes. For we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. In Christ, we are clothed with His righteousness, and in Christ, our lives are sustained. I think it's towards the end of the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, but of Him, that is, of God, of Him are we in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. We are clothed with the righteousness of Christ, and in Christ our lives are sustained. We are members of His body, we are members of His flesh. We are members of His bones. We are members of Christ. Now, let's turn to another passage for just a minute, just a page or so back maybe in your Bible, to the fourth chapter of Ephesians, and let's make a few points. <clears throat> I hate to rush through this, but Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 tells us that we are to speak the truth in love. We're to speak the truth in love. Always love is to be manifest. The truth is to be proclaimed. But the two go hand in hand, or should. Sometimes the truth hurts. Sometimes the truth convicts. But if the truth is proclaimed and spoken in love, then the truth will have its desired effect. Sooner or later, it will have its desired effect. Oh, I know it depends on the one who's receiving it. We're to speak the truth in love. And as we do that, then that's kind of the, the, the prerequisite. Speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things. We're now we're talking about the body of Christ, okay, in our relationship with, with the head, who is Christ. Speaking the truth in love is the prerequisite for growth. Listen to me now. Speaking the truth in love is the prerequisite for growth, both spiritually and physically. The truth must be proclaimed. We grow, we mature in our spiritual minds. We grow and mature in our understanding 
of, of what God has done for us. We, we grow in that truth, the truth that we have in God's Word, but love is necessary so that we not only just grow in the knowledge, but that we mature in spirit. And that spirit, spiritually and physically, truth and love are both prerequisites for growth. We're, we're descri here, described here in verse 16, from whom, speaking about Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. I don't know how many mouthfuls there are there, but there's a bunch. And I, there's no way to work all that out in just a minute or two. So let's just say this. The body receives all that it needs through the provisions of the head. It is from the head of the body that everything we need flows together. When Paul says fitly joined together and compacted, what he is telling us is that we have here as the body of Christ at this place, we have a, we have a structure. We have this organized and it's been organized with purpose. You are here for a reason. You are a member of the body of Christ for a reason, for purpose. It's organized that way by Christ Himself. Every part, every member has its place. Every member has its role. Every member is equally important. Every member is, it, we're designed to be united, united in every way, knit together, united in our affections, united in our understanding. And the intent is that we would grow that we would grow in every way. He says, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself. And as the body matures spiritually, I'm convinced, as that truth is spoken in love, that we will also increase physically and that, that we are strengthened by that, and which results in further building, further growth, and we're strengthened by that. And that truth has continued to be spoken in love and we're continuing to be edified, and it's just a cycle on and on and on. What part are you playing in that? As an individual member of the body, what part are you playing in that? You see, every member of the body has its place and its role and its responsibilities, its function, its importance within the body of Christ. You read that in, in Romans chapter 12. You can look at a couple of verses over there if you like. In Romans chapter 12, how that we are, again, we're many members but one body. Each and every one of us, listen friends, each and every one of you have different abilities you have different talents. You have different roles in the church. You have, you have responsibilities. And every single member of the church, and if you don't remember anything else I've said this morning, please remember this. Every single member of the body must function to its fullest in order that the body as a whole remains strong and that the body as a whole can enjoy the greatest amount of pleasure and joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I've shared this on Facebook recently. Some of you may have seen it. Some of you may have not. been reading a book lately here about, um, written by a physician, and he's, he, he studies the cells of the body, and he's make, he makes comparisons between the cells of the body and the members of the body of Christ. And it's an amazing thing. 
it's been really amazing uh, read, and um, I'll share it with you when I get through reading. I'll bring it out here, and you can read it too. In that book, he describes, listen, this is really good. He describes how individual cells, they all are specialized. They all have a specific function. Not one cell does everything. All the cells are specialized. And, and for the sake of the body, every cell carries out its function. You think about the nerve ending, our nerves. The cells that make up our nerves, they're designed to experience cold and heat and touch and, and sound and, and sight and smell and taste and feeling and, and all these things, pain, all these different things. But none of them are designed to feel pleasure or joy or contentment or satisfaction or peace. Those things, all of those things come about as a result of all of the cells, individual cells, working, carrying out their function and working in unity and in harmony. And the result of all of that is the body itself experiencing all of these other emotions. Now there's hormones and there's enzymes and there's all this other stuff going on, but all of it working together so that the body as a whole experiences whatever emotion it is. For the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest pleasure that we can have in the Lord is that when every single member, every single cell of the body is functioning as it ought. And you know what it requires? It requires sacrifice. We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Thank you again for listening. Rocky Mount Church is a primitive Baptist congregation located near Arab, Alabama. We invite you to look us up on the web at rockymountpbc.org. That's rockymountpbc.org. You'll find various resources there on our website, as well as additional links to other primitive Baptist sites. You'll find contact information there, and we would love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Thank you again for listening. We look forward to the next opportunity we can spend some time together. May the Lord bless you, is our prayer. Amen.